Welcome to our podcast series of Coffee with Accord, where we discuss various peace and security related topics, including ongoing and emerging conflicts in Africa, policy developments, evolving theories, and innovative approaches to peace and security. Our guests are conflict resolution practitioners, experienced mediators, and policymakers within the peace and security landscape. Enjoy this episode and feel free to leave your comments. Greetings and welcome to another session of Coffee with the Cord. My name is Wandile Langa. I'll now be your host for today. In today's discussion, we'll be focusing on children in conflict zones. Protection of children in conflicts. Children in a conflict are often exposed to the horrors of a war, making them the most vulnerable group and often the beneficiaries of a conflict. Speaking with us today would be Dr. Miamingi discussing this topic. Of course, Dr. Miamingi is a child protection advisor at the Political Affairs, Peace and Security Department at the African Union. Dr. Miamingi is an international lawyer and a human rights and governance expert by trade. He has over 17 years in working for governments, civil society organizations, and academia. Dr. Miamingi, do my learn that. Thank you very, very much, Ndate. Thank you for this opportunity. Fantastic, fantastic. And of course, Ndate, by greeting you in this way, clearly it indicates that you are the child of the you are the child of the soil and truly African. Absolutely. That is why I'm very proud African. Yes, that is great. Ndat, please, seventeen years of experience in law. Tell us where does this come from? No, thank you very much. Uh, my passion for good governance and uh, human rights is informed by at least three main reasons. Uh, number one, as you know and noted, I am a South Sudanese, a country that has been at war since 1955. And this war, partly caused by poor governance and gross violations of human rights, and this war, which is caused by this, has resulted into millions of deaths, caused enormous uh, destructions, despair and displacement in my country, and uh, this has co- you know, caused so much pain at a family level, at a personal level, dreams destroyed, families divided, and neighbors turned overnight into brutal enemies. So witnessing these experience growing up in my own country and the evils of war has strengthened my resolve to try and fight for peace. And fighting for peace, peace has a price, right? And the price of peace is respect for human rights and the rule of law. And this is so so captured uh, eloquently in the preamble to the Universal Declaration uh, of Human Rights. And I quote that because it makes a very important point. It says that it is essential if man is not to be compelled to as a last result to recourse to war or rebellion against tyranny and oppression, that human rights should be protected by the rule of law. In layman's term, what this people are saying in their wisdom is that for there to be for guns to be silent, there must be human right that is protected by the rule of law. So if I want to work for peace, one of the important tools that I told myself I must work for is governance and ensuring quality of governance 
but also human rights. And there's a final reason, you know, uh, for there to be a meaningful, inclusive, and sustainable development, this cannot happen where there is no rule of law and where there is no human right. Because law and order is the backbone of sustainable development. So in a nutshell, my passion for peace and for prosperity for mankind is motivated. This has motivated me to study human rights and governance and devote my professional career to the promotion and protection of fundamental liberties and the rule of law. Okay. No, thank you, Ndate. Thank you, thank you. And understood. Ndate, there was an interesting study that came out in 2018 that stated that there are over 400 million children living in conflict zone and 170 of them are on the African continent. You also just happened to mention that your country, South Sudan or Sudan, has been in conflict since 1955. Now, what you're basically stating is that if you were to be an adult now from 1955, you'd either be in your 70s or perhaps your, your late 60s. Now, there are, there are adults that are living with us right now that were born in conflict zones. Please tell us, tell us more about this. I mean, is, is, an, is, a, is a child born in a conflict zone and one that lives in a conflict zone, are these two different paradoxes? No, thank you very much, Ndate. You see, uh, the conflicts that we have on the continent today are increasingly protracted and complex in cost and in their consequences and in their character. Now, one of the reasons why we are having this deadly, nasty, and brutal conflict is because those who are fighting those conflicts today were traumatized as children. They grow up in error, in abuse, in violence, and in conflict that were not dealt with. And now, growing up as an adult, they are even more deadly weapon of war than our forefathers. So the point being made here is that so they, if we do not protect children, and children are exposed to conflict, those are our down payment for tomorrow's conflict. But it is not just the sustainable link for conflict. It is that the conflict that will come from children who are experiencing conflict today will even be worse than the one that we are, what, that we are witnessing today. And so as a result, at least for us here at the African Union, we, have, we are worried and we are watching a disturbing trend across the continent. Yes, we have a decline in the number of active conflicts in Africa, but 70% of our current conflicts are not new conflicts. There are actually a spare up of, new conf of old conflicts that went into hibernation and then reactivated by one reason or the other. Now, the reason why I, ha I have to mention the issue of uh, rehibernation and trauma is that because of the fact that, that when the other conflict when they were not addressed, the frustration were not addressed, the trauma was not addressed, the reoccurring of that conflict becomes extraordinary conflict, complex. And children, is, so a war is not just war against children, it turns children into a vector that links one generation of war, our fighters in war, to the next generation. 
And so that is why the conversation around addressing uh, and isolating children from the evils of war is actually truncating the transmission of that, of that painful past, of that trauma from one generation to another generation, other than the impact itself on children. Children that uh, grow up in conflict are exposed, I mean, other than those who die in their hundreds of thousands in war, many of them have been recruited and are being used in different capacities, especially the girl child for sexual purposes. Some of them have their schools uh, denied personally. I lost 17 years of my school time because of conflict, 17, all right? And that period, a child, a childhood that is stolen by war cannot be recovered. You can do catch up as some of us are trying to, but that period is gone, all right? So we have their childhood stolen, education denied to them, social services are not there, you have a hospital has been turned into ozone. So it is Africa preparing not for a peaceful future, but actually preparing for a deadly future if you allow the trend on children now to continue the exposure to war. Thank you, Dad, if you allow the trend of exposure to continue. Dad, your role at the African Union is a child protection advisor. Uh, for children that are affected or living and in conflicts, uh, particularly where PSOs or peace support operations are deployed. Can you please tell us more about your role? Well, thank you very much. So my role is as an advisor to the Department uh, on Political Affairs, Peace and Security, and through that department to the African Union. And it is entailed, I mean, it entails helping the African Union to identify gaps in policies, gaps in its program and in its uh, activities that should be filled up to ensure that children who are exposed to conflict are better protected. And once we've identified those gaps in policies and in programs, we are then uh, uh, saddled with the responsibility of integrating child protection into those policy gaps, into those program gaps, so that as a practice as a union, we're then able, together with our member states, together with our troop contributing countries, and together with our police contributing country, being be able to systematically protect children in, who are exposed to conflict. And the third component of our work is around ensuring institutionalization. So you have policy making, then you have policy implementation, but ensuring that we are not just making policy and implementing this policy in a disorganized, discoordinated manner. But as an institution, we're able to gather from a political perspective, from a social perspective, from an educational perspective, from a developmental perspective, that we have to holistically able to deploy program for our children whether in Somalia, in Sahel region, in Central African Republic, Burundi, South Sudan, in Libya, in a manner that is able to ensure at least to the best possible ability that they are protected and their rights are promoted and basic services are provided to them. Okay, no, thank you, Dad. And Dad, I forgot to compliment your Madiba magic shirts. It looks wonderful on you. 
Uh, you, you, see, you are clearly dressed for the occasion. Yes, we eat Africa. We dress Africa, my brother. <laughs> <laughs> that is very true. That is very true. Now, that, <laughs> let me ask you. Within the African within the African Union Commission, when it comes to child protection when it comes to the child the protection of children, apologies, are there any new or ongoing developments that are currently occurring? Absolutely. Uh, so let me start from the policy front because, as a policy institution, it is important. Now, in 2019, the Assembly of Head of States and Government, which is the highest policy making body within the African Union took four very important decisions with wide-ranging implication for promotion and protection of the right, welfare, and well-being of children in Africa. <coughs> First, they decided that the, the African Union Commission should develop a policy that will make it mandatory for mainstreaming child protection issues in an AU's conflict prevention conflict management and conflict resolution framework. In other words, that protection of children is imperative to our ability to prevent conflict, to our ability to effectively manage conflict, and to resolve those conflicts sustainably. And that is a very crucial realization at the highest policy making in Africa. And that policy, this, that policy has now been finalized. It will go to the Peace and Security Council in a few weeks' time. And therefore, it will then demand that when we're planning a mission, deploying a mission, managing a mission, or liquidating that mission, we are doing that cognizant of the effect, the impact, of that mission and that conflict on children and cognizant of their role in conflict or being impacted by conflict. So that is one policy framework that is going to transform significantly the way AU program around peace support operation. Now specifically for peace support operation and this mainstreaming policy is not just in peace support operation, it is in all the pillars of APSA, in mediation, in uh, uh, our African standby force, in our panel of the wise, in the way we allocate peace funds. So that is one policy framework. Now the second policy framework is specifically to AUP support operation. The policy now demands uh, training that has been taking place by now in the most systematic manner. Pre-training, in-mission training, and exit training for all our troop-contributing countries and police-contributing countries and of our civilians. But also, it mandates our TCC and PCCs to ensure that when deploying, they create a structure within that particular mission, a child protection focal point. That will coordinate with the, the child protection focal point at the AU headquarters, but also in the mission headquarters, to ensure that issues to do with children are integrated, implemented, and monitored. The second important development is that the African Union is developing a continental monitoring, reporting, and accountability mechanism. Now, this mechanism is complementary to, and it reinforces 
the UN monitoring and the reporting uh, monitoring and the reporting uh, mechanism. So that is a very important uh, uh, development. The monitoring mechanism is to provide our policymakers with up-to-date data on the plight of children in Africa, and it integrates with our early warning system, so that as we are crawling data across the continent, we are also analyzing and segregating those data into age-specific and able to produce in real time early warning where there's a need for actual report in the situations of children on the continent. And so that reporting mechanism is now being developed and it will be, be, rolled, will be rolled out quickly. And the third and last probably is that the African Union has appointed a special envoy uh, on children in situation of armed conflict. Now, that person, uh, the decision has been taken, selection process is going on. The appointment of that person will complement the role of the UN Secretary Special Representative, uh, the Special Representative of the UN Secretary General uh, on children affected by armed conflict, but also the role of the Special Rapporteur uh, on children affected by armed conflict or the African Committee of Experts on the Right and Welfare of the Child. So these three mechanisms will work in what we call the African Union Child Protection Architecture that sits right at the heart of the, Af the African Peace and Security Architecture as well as the African Governance Architecture. And so we are going to be addressing children uh, issues from right-based, peace-based, and security issue, but also from a governance perspective. So the AU is making progress on the policy front, on the mechanism that is needed to implement those policies, but also on the accountability where we've been lacking a bit, we're beginning to put in place mechanism to ensure our accountability. Thank you, Ntate. Uh, Ntate, of course, as we sit, there are probably others that are watching right now that are sitting in their sofas or in their desks and they're feeling inspired by by what you what you've just said and they want to make a contribution towards the protection of, of children, particularly in armed conflicts. What word of wisdom would you like to leave them? Uh, I will leave I'll give them two things. First of all, what they can do. Number one is if they belong to organization. The African Union has what we call the African Union Coordination Group on Children Affected by Armed Conflict. It is a coordination group that brings together the African Union system, the UN system, the international organization that work in the area of children's rights, and the African organization. And so I will welcome them to join this coordination group and uh, there will be the benefit of this that this coordination group is an advisory mechanism to the union it is also a support mechanism to the union it is also an advocacy mechanism to the union because as you know intergovernmental bodies are as effective as the engagement that it gets from its citizens so if Africans are not effectively engaging with the African Union to the extent of their level of engagement, that is what they'll get back from the Union. And so I encourage African organizations to join this effort 
and to hold the African Union to account for policies made on paper to be translated into reality for children. So that would be the first, uh, if they are organization. I mean, if basically they are individuals, I think the first responsibility starts with us. All of us who are children. All of us are in families where they are children. All of us have, maybe most of us have children. And so if children don't get from home what they're supposed to get from home, you don't expect them to get more from school and you don't expect them to get more from society. And so we must, as a very important, deliberate, instill in our children the kind of resiliency, the kind of citizenry, the kind of uh, agency that is required for Africa in the 21st, 22nd, 23rd century going forward. And so it is important that this is not an AU role, it is not a government role, it is a collective responsibility as Africans. Because children are the messages that one generation sends to the next. And the children that we have today, they are actually our message. They are a representation of who we are. They are an embodiment of our values. They will represent our action or inactions when we are not there to the next generation and to the world. Let us make sure that we invest in them. Let's make sure we protect them. Let's make sure we equip them with all that they require to compete as equal global citizens in the world in which we are today. Ah, that if you could carry on, we would talk until midnight. But unfortunately, we will have to close it for now. And of course, that they'll be rest assured that these discussions will not end here. But of course, they will be. They will continue in the near futures, perhaps in the corridors of the African Union or even in the global corridors of the United Nations. These conversations never end. Again, we'd like to thank the audience for joining us. My name is Wandile Langa. I was your host. Uh, Dr. Miamingi was our, our guest speaker who joined us today and we'd like to thank you for joining us with Coffee with the Court. Thank you. Thank you for watching today's episode of Coffee with the Court. Do not forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel so that you can receive notifications every time we post a new episode. For more updates, like our Facebook page, African Center for the Constructive Resolution of Disputes or follow us on Twitter or on Instagram at Accord Online. To learn more about Accord, visit our website www.accord.org.za.